I cannot think of anything that brought New Yorkers together, regardless of their deep-seated differences as 911. There was no speeches that had to be given by the mayor or by the president. It was a sense that our family had been hit, attacked by people that we didn't know. And, uh, and of course, what does it mean? What, how has that changed me and how has it changed America? I never thought that I could feel any different about war because I've been in war. My brother's been in World War II. I was in Korea. Uh, I had no friends and family that was connected to Vietnam. But wars to me were conflicts of people killing each other in different countries. Uh, has shattered everything that I could think of, every motion picture, every historic uh, event, everything that I thought about war was always, we were in some foreign country. Somebody that we could see, he had a face, he had a flag, he had a uniform, and we could build up as where is he, what country is he, and to stop this threat to our well-being. And here we have something that nobody could create. No face, no uniform. We don't know who they are, where they came from. So meaningless. No lesson to be learned. No, no direction given to us. Uh, no reason that we can try to undo to see that it doesn't happen again. And I think that if each one of us, each one of us can just look at ourselves, our families, our community, and our country, we will find more in common as to why we should be working together, why no part of the world should be suffering uh, with famine, why we cannot afford to think about how we're going to kill people when we have so much to do to make certain that our civilization does not lead to honor uh, this Sunday. It's bigger than the thousands of people who lost their lives. It's bigger than the first responders that put their lives in jeopardy. It's bigger than the fact that this triggered an excuse for war in the Middle East. What it really does is to, I would think, it should remind us how infinitesimal we are, no matter what our titles Ladies and are, gentlemen, what welcome we call to each other. Radio. It may be the great United Where States tonight we of America, take but moment. God's planning. To remember just the, the victim of 9-11, 14 years ago, and tonight we are honored to be a part of such a special uh, yet sad uh, day in our history with the attack on the Twin Towers in New York City, who you just heard speaking moments ago was uh, Congressman Charles Rangel from New York, who felt the impact personally because that was that was home that is home and uh i'll tell you what tonight we do deal with a few things to remember ladies and gentlemen across america wherever you might be tonight whatever reflection you've done today we, in, we invite you to join us tonight a special edition of spotlight on capitol hill as we remember and reflect on 9-11 sit back for a moment and reflect what America means to you.
And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, God bless the USA, Lee Greenwood wrote that song, believing and knowing what it meant to be an American. And we reflect tonight, and uh, tonight is a special night for us here at AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks, along with William Williams and Cliff Stewart, and the AJC Radio team, as we reflect on 9-11. Coming up tonight, Congressman Charles Rango took some moments with us to reflect on that day, and uh, I'll tell you what, William and Cliff, some sad times in this country in regards to such an attack and such an unexpected attack on the country. William, your thoughts on that? I tell you, it's, um, I woke up this morning, it was a little gloomy outside, and I said, that's uh, symbolic of the day. Symbolic yes. of the day. Fourteen years later, here we are. Um, our country is no better. Uh, we are no safer. Um, over close to 3,000 people have lost their lives. And, and the fallout of it continues to this day. You know, you see it on the news today. Um, people are being remembered. Those that ran into those buildings are sick. Um, it's just tragic. It's tragic. Cliff, as we talk about this today, I tell you, uh, as I walked around today and, and, and seeing the things in the media, the tears, uh, that type of grief, nobody can really put a time stamp on it, can they? Because the pain never ceases. And uh, Cliff, your thoughts on this this day? Well, you know, Lamont, as I uh, you know went along my day to day, and every time I saw a flag had half staff, and you know listening to the radio or seeing television, everybody reminisced on what happened uh, on 9/11 in 2001. And it it is as clear and uh, present in my mind now as it was on that morning as I watched the television and watched those planes crashing into those buildings. It's one of those things that, you know, it's an event that will always hold a place, at, you know, in the top of your mind because it, it was so tragic. It was so uncalled for. And, um, you know, you look at it. And as you reflect back, you say, wow, now there someone on television, I believe it was Robert De Niro, said there's always now you look at your life or you look at times and events of before 9-11 and after 9-11. It's such a it is such a mark in American history that uh, it, it's dealt with constantly. Uh, pretty much on a daily basis, we still look at you know threats from uh, from ISIS. We look at what happened with Al Qaeda, um, and you know it's just to to today, almost 15 years later, still dealing with the same type of issues, the same uh, enemy as as um, Congressman Rangel just spoke that you know this is an enemy without a uniform. Yeah. So it's a war on an unseen, unknown enemy. We just know that they're out there and that we have to defeat them to keep America safe. Well, no, absolutely, Cliff. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight, 
The troubling part of this as we get ready to go into some information, and I'll tell you folks, you don't want to miss this program tonight. Again, uh, featuring Congressman Charles Rangel, we had the opportunity to speak with him yesterday. And I'll tell you, Congressman Rangel is true, a true patriot of the United States. And his passion and what he expressed, uh, my hat's off to the congressman for his years, over 44 years of service. Uh, his position on fighting to keep the uh, uh, Department of, of Homeland Security up and running to avoid any issues that could possibly attack this homeland. And I don't want to get into the interview, but I'll tell you, folks, this is a real story in America today. And uh, as we go there, uh, we're going to go into the disclaimer uh, prior to digging into this story. And Cliff, can you help our folks with that? Yes. We'd like to let everyone out there listening know that we are not attorneys. And AJC Radio does not provide legal advice. Please contact your own personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect those of a just cause or AJC Radio. And all, as always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. All right, and there you go. And Lisa is off tonight. Um, and we're going to go into this. Uh, William, you pointed this out to me earlier, and this is... Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever had a time in America where you needed to get a hold of your congressmen, your senators, if you need to go vote, go to the polls, now in this country is the time to do that. As we approach another election uh, next year, uh, electing another president of the United States, as well as, of course, members of Congress, it is important that we get involved because the threat remains very real. And then, William, you were sharing with me this story. I'll let you... uh, kind of go into that uh, former CIA and DIA operatives warn of another 9-11 attack and it goes uh, I believe to the, re- to the report uh, uh, by the 911 commission that stated we are no safer today than we were 14 years ago and if that is the case ladies and gentlemen we have a reason to get involved we have a reason to march on the steps of the Capitol to talk to our elected officials to talk to our children, to talk to everybody that stands at risk, because all of us are at risk. William, go into the story and what they're reporting on this. I'm sorry. I I read this today, uh, of course, with all the news and stuff that was going on. This was a story that ran today. Former CIA and DIA operatives warn of another 9-11 attack. So nearly 15 years, the tension between terrorist groups still pose a threat to the United States or U.S. national security. This was on U.S. News and World Report today. You guys can go out there and look for it, look at it for yourself. This right here is the same thing we have been looking at. We've saw, I, 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 as I continue to t- kind of scan and uh, the Internet, this has been the continued theme for the past, at least I discovered, the past two to three years. Coming 9-11 in 2012, there were reports that said we are no better, we are no safer. 2013, more articles, some from you know oh. uh, different media outlets. But this one today, I saw U.S. News & World Report, and it outlines – it outlines basically that we as a country are no safer. These ideologies, these jihadist ideologies have continued to grow. Uh, this and it's growing into the United States, um, and it's just it's it's 
blowing up. It's beyond um, our thoughts and our comprehensions. And I think the biggest thing about it is we are naive. At least they're trying to get us to believe we are better. We are better because of what's happened. What all, the whole news media outlets have forgotten is that these groups have grown. They've become more bold. They have reached out to in more uh, media outlets showing their um, disdain for our way of life, their cruelty, and we have actually seen more and more their recruitment on our soil. So no matter how many troops we put in the Middle East, just as many as, they're, as we're putting over there, how many are they putting here to recruit on our homeland? Well, that's without question. Uh, Senator uh, Home, Home Security Committee Chairman, Chairman Michael McCall, Republican out of Texas, says despite many years since 9-11, our enemies in the now Islamic state still see anniversaries as important times to stage attacks. Regardless of how far away we get from the original attack against America in 2001, our need to remain vigilant on this coming anniversary is high as it has ever been. We have had more than significant warnings from our FBI in the past few weeks and months. Our nation must never back down from these vicious uh, murderers. And uh, I'll tell you what, um, and I, let me uh, make a correction here. That comes from uh, uh, Department Head Flynn, not actually the congress, uh, the congressman out of uh, Texas. But he, the congressman out of Texas, makes the statement. Uh, Mr. McCall, Congressman McCall, excuse me. Homeland Security Committee Chairman states that the threat emanating from the terrorist organizations has evolved more since 2001. So it doesn't matter how long ago it happened. The years passing make it even more of a threat because there's time to plan. And uh, as you said, William, the other night that uh, the terrorists uh, are, have planned for years in advance before they attack the World Trade Center. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, their patience is astounding. I mean, they, they, they are masters in chess when you look at it. They sit there, they wait, they plan, they wait, they plan. Then they attack. And so it just, it's just mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me that we have not learned. We have not learned from this event, nor any of the events that's happened overseas. I mean, even here, it's outlined personnel and, uh, and the possibility of another 9-11 attack against the homeland has increased since the rise of ISIS, and intelligence agencies are monitoring it closely, the intelligence officials added. This is the last lines of this article right here. Yeah. And, and I'll go ahead. And, well, and, and it, it, so it's saying U.S. assets, U.S. personnel overseas are not safe. Well, and it, it tells you that as ISIS, as we, and you can't talk about the 9/11 attacks without talking about ISIS, uh, because ISIS is to me, to me, a worse threat than Al Qaeda was, because these are these are mercenaries. Not that Al Qaeda was it, but they are ruthless. Barbaric uh, dictators is what they are. Yes. Uh, and, uh, folks, this is a real problem in this country. As we tonight take a moment and look back at the tragedy, coming up shortly, our interview with Congressman Charles Rangel from New York will touch your heart. It is time that America become outraged as a result of no action. Failure to act is as bad as the act itself. We will hear tonight from the heart 
of who we have stated on this program, one of the IRP6, David Banks, who, who sits in prison tonight, wrongfully convicted, in regards to a justice system that failed. Now, you wonder why, how does that come up with the anniversary of 9-11? Because David Banks was actually at ground zero, and him and, a, and five other IT professionals created software that would enable the United States to keep it safe, our children safe, on a consistent basis. And, you know, uh, Lamont, looking at the, the article that William just went into, and as you speak about David and the uh, IRP6, you know, the... Um, McCall, who is, uh, you know, the Homeland Security Homeland Security Committee chairman from Texas. That's who you were talking yes. about, uh, Mike McCall. He said that you know the in, the Islamic State ISIS has enormous reach through the internet through the internet in this dark space that allows a group to conduct and plan operations. And this really struck me because you're talking about 14 years later. And, and you and William touched on the point that the 9-11 Commission report, the 10th anniversary of that, stated that, you know, we're no safer. And this is what McCall said. He said, it is an area that leaves most of law enforcement and the intelligence commu community in the dark and is difficult, if not impossible, to combat. We call it terrorism gone rival. Bin Laden had caters and couriers, but with the Internet, they can radicalize thousands of fighters in a matter of minutes. And then... Uh, uh, Fairchild and Flynn that you mentioned earlier Flynn said if you look at the world today There are sanctuaries all across the world ISIS and Al-Qaeda affiliates are all over the world They're in Yemen, Sinai, Libya, Afghanistan, Pakistan And North America to name Or North Africa to name a few The very premise of our counter-terrorism policy Has failed And our domestic security is being directly threatened You're talking about almost 15 years later mm -hmm. That there is still, there is, there's nothing in place that says that we can fight. I mean, this is the, the DHS committee chairman saying we still don't have a solution. And when you look at what IRP Solutions did, building the Silk software at the requirement and the behest and the customization of Department of Homeland Security, it was built to do exactly what they need. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. Tonight, as you sit under the cloud of freedom, no matter where you are, New York City, 80 degrees right now, Los Angeles, 89, you would never know 14 years ago a black cloud arrived on the horizon of New York City and this country. Tonight, we will reflect on the victims of 9-11, the heroes, those who hold the key to America's safety. They're called the IRP-6. We're going to get into that when we get back. Folks, sit down tonight, wherever you might be, on the front porch as you reflect 14 years ago and the cool breeze may be blowing in your face tonight. Someone somewhere paid a price for that freedom. Tonight, we take a visit to New York City and we remember 9-11. Stay with us. We're coming right back at you.
Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. I remember how incredibly, amazingly beautiful it was that day. It was one of the most beautiful days I've ever seen. I was in boot camp when I found out. I went to the grocery store to buy some milk, and I was listening to the radio at the time, and I had the news on, and they mentioned that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. On September 11th, I will pray for the safety of the people I love. I will remember by taking a moment to think about the three colleagues of mine who did not make it out that day. I will send care packages to troops overseas. I will. I will. I will. I will find a way to help someone become more literate. I will continue to be a volunteer fireman. I will forgive. I will volunteer at our local domestic violence shelter. I will clean up my room. I will. I will. I will. I will remember by planting a tree here at the Flight 93 Memorial. Memorial. What will you do? What will you do this September 11th? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, special edition, as we take a moment and look back 14 years ago at the tragedy that struck a nation. Not only New York City, the plane that also went into the Pentagon, and those that have suffered loss all over this country as a result of a senseless act of terror, on our homeland. Tonight we take a look back 
at what happened, why did it happen, and what questions yet have to be answered. We talk all the time on this program, but especially tonight, there comes a time questions must be asked, and we must seek out those answers. We had the opportunity to uh, talk to Congressman Charles Ringel out of New York. Right now, we go to his interview with AJC Radio on this special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and Congressman Charles Rangel has some very important things to say. Okay, Congressman Rangel, we uh, we thank you for the opportunity of, of joining us tonight, and uh, we thought it necessary to reach out uh, to your office as we reflect on 9-11 uh, and the tragedy that hit New York City, and we didn't think if there was anyone better uh, that could speak to it as we reflect and think about uh, what actually happened on that day, and we'd like you to share that with our listeners and, and where, we, where we are today as a nation as we try to continue to keep America safe. I'm so glad to participate in this discussion because no matter what problems we have individually as a nation, we're so blessed that with the exception of Pearl Harbor, we have never but never been struck as we were by terrorists. Everybody in New York and probably throughout the country recognizes where they were when these two planes struck a building and killed so many thousands of innocent people. So as a result of that, I feel the pain today of the reaction that our country's had in attacking people that they wanted that appeared to be now more political and more retaliatory than being accurate and the right thing to do. And so I would hope that if people truly believe, as I do, that this retaliation could have been avoided and indeed look into the question as to what happened as a result of our attack on Israel? What happened when people who had religious and other disputes for thousands of years uh, decided that they would then attack the United States and other people? It seemed to me that anybody that doesn't participate by registering, by voting, by asking questions, are not really involved in the protection of the security of the United States. It was a vicious thing that happened to us. But compared to what has happened to other countries and what's going on today with homeless refugees, God has indeed blessed this wonderful country of ours. We ought to do something to protect it. No, absolutely, uh, Congressman. And uh, uh, we was uh, doing an opportunity uh, to look at some information uh, uh, this morning where uh, you basically fought very vigorously, uh, Congressman Rangel, to prevent uh, the Homeland Security shutdown. Um, of course, that is the Department of Homeland Security was born out of uh, the tragedy that took place uh, in New York City. Uh, what steps, in your opinion, do we need to take as a country but as a government uh, they, there was questions in regards to sharing information between uh, agencies, law enforcement agencies, that could have avoided this 
What are your thoughts on that, and how do we correct that now, seeing the threat uh, that America faces uh, with other terrorist groups that may want to copycat, if you will, uh, th- those uh, those moments and those uh, actions taken by uh, al-Qaeda? We do this by encouraging informed people like you to raise these problems and questions to inform and educate and to get people to ask questions. Because these are not interesting subjects, and sometimes they're not pleasant subjects. But as long as you reach out to those of us who are responsible for the decisions that cause or can uh, deflect uh, these type of international horrific stories, then America would just hope that we do the best we can. People have to ask the question, why? Why did we have to fight for homeland security? Why did we have to fight for the funding? The truth of the matter is, homeland security had nothing to do with it. It was a polarization of the Republican Party that if they couldn't get their agreement as to the things they wanted legitimately, they would hold hostage to homeland security. Don't ask me why they thought that the United States would capitulate because they took away the heart of our security. But let me tell you this. Today, we marked up a bill in my committee. And soon, in October, the first or soon after, we would have reached our debt ceiling, which means what? America, the president would have to ask authority uh, from the Congress to borrow money. If the Congress doesn't give it to him, and we default, our economy collapses, and the international community that is led by the dependency on our currency will call chaos. Wrangle, are you saying that Congress is going to let that happen? Well, they got to the brink of it before, and as a result of just the threat of it, we lost hundreds of billions of dollars because people refused to invest in America. Well, how could it possibly happen today? We... The Republicans passed a bill saying that it's the prevent of default bill. Well, then it's not going to happen. All they're saying is don't use the word default. But what does that mean? They say Treasury can borrow more money, but they have to pay back our foreign people who invested first. Well, what's wrong with that? It means that they never considered our obligation to our sick, our poor, our disabled, our veterans, just to people that that we borrowed money from. Hey, I'll be glad to get on your program when this thing gets on the floor. And then people would say, God, I never thought they would do that in Washington. Well, the frustration that people have with Washington is what creates people like Donald Trump. They don't love him. They just frustrated with government. I got to run now, but call okay. me back. I'm glad to talk with you any other evening, okay? Thank you, Congressman. And thanks for your service. Thank you so much, Congressman. Thank you very much, and we appreciate you, and we will be uh, reaching out to you again. Take care and be safe out there in Washington. Thank you so much. I'll be there for you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Take care. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm at somewhat of a loss. Uh, Politics playing and taking the place of American of American lives. Of 
it is you can't wrap your hands around that. Your thoughts cannot begin to understand that. The congressman Will William and Cliff, his passion forty four years of battling for the American people as his place in New York City was in ruins. And we don't dare uh, leave out the other locations of tragedy. Uh, we understand that two of the planes, American Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 175, were crashed into the North and South Tower, respectively, of the World Trade Center com complex in New York City. A third plane, American Airlines Flight 77, was crashed into the Pentagon, the headquarters of the United States Department of Defense, in Arlington County, Virginia. And the fourth plane, United Airlines Flight 93, initially was steered towards Washington, D.C., but crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the only speculation on, uh, you know, Flight 93 that went down with those brave passengers that ended up uh, storming the cockpit and bringing that plane to the ground, the only speculation assumption is that they were taking that one to the White House. Yeah. And you look at the brave people who lost their lives, who knew that they would leave their families that day. They knew that uh, their loved ones would never see them again. And then to think that Congress would allow Department of Homeland Security to be defunded over some political yeah. grappling, some type of, uh, you know, you, you look at it and you say, how do how do we even get close to the position of we're going to lose funding for what is set up to to defend our homeland? How does the mindset of anyone in Congress say we'll let that happen for 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 even an inkling of a moment? Say so these are people who lost their lives. I mean, the ones where the terrorists flew the, the planes into the building and into you know the towers in the Pentagon. That's one thing. They they already had their mindset that hey we're going to die today and in in whatever way they whatever reward they thought they were going to get, but you're talking about the people on that last flight that says we're making a conscious decision that we're not going to let this plane make it to the White House. We're not going to let this plane kill anybody else. We're we're not letting another national monument be taken down by terrorists. We'll drive into the ground with us on board. And then I mean just as a memorial and an honor to those people. Congress should never even have any there, – there should be no filibuster. There should not be any question of do we fund DHS? Do we ensure that the homeland is, is safe? I mean just as a memorial to those people, it should always be that whatever funding is necessary, that the, the signature should be unanimous. We saw on 9-11 Congress came together in an unprecedented way. They all said we, we unanimous, unanimously vote. To go after terrorists. When when President Bush said, I need Congress to fund that I can take this country to war against terror, the entire Congress signed off on it in a moment. There was no debate. There was no confusion. There was no back and forth. Nothing. Just, yes, we will. We will retaliate though against those who brought this type of destruction to America. And yeah. then years later to say, well, DHS might be defunded. That is sickening. It is a sacrilege to the to those who lost their lives. It is a sacrilege to those who in the military has lo have lost their lives in this war on terror. 
And me personally, I feel, I mean, my opinion, it should never happen. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, when you are faced with decisions on this level, it is, it is the bottom line, the American people must be safe. Well, I think I think one thing one thing that Cliff pointed out, and as and as he said something, I thought I said um, that's why we're not winning. That's why we're not any better as a country. I mean, it, was, it seems like it was a half-hearted effort. If they can come back 15 years later and they can almost let DHS be defunded, that sounds half-hearted. Well, it speaks to the condition of this nation, ladies and gentlemen. Before we go any further. We want to say and give our condolences to the families of the fallen in this tragedy. Our thoughts, our prayers go to every American, every non-American, every human being around the world that was touched and affected by this senseless tragedy. As Congressman Rangel said so perfectly, we must ask the questions and we must demand the answers. I can tell you right now, we have one of the answers, and we have the main answer. And they are the IRP-6, who sit wrongfully convicted in a prison cell for trying to avoid another 9-11, who were moved by the entrepreneur spirit that America once welcomed as they sought out tirelessly late nights and through the sweat and the tears of finding an answer that this tragedy would not happen on their watch. In a few moments, we're going to come back and hear from the words of David Banks, what he has gone through as a patriot of America who sits in a cell tonight and five other patriots for no good lawful reason, but because Someone sought out to destroy or to seek to destroy these men. It is uncomprehendable. We will get into that when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, AJC Radio, special edition, remembering 9-11. The questions must be answered. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11, 2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. Oh, we We had your favorite dinner tonight. That was only you. And I ate it all up. Even though I don't like carrots. Swim this summer. And I can 
up ease and open my eyes. Oh, no. When I underwater, you make a man back more. Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. Maybe you're all that I Love is all that I need. I'm in fifth grade now. the hearts of our children continue to cry as we stand at risk of another attack of terror on our nation what about our children our children's children who stand in the crossfire of terror we must act now that America and our children will remain safe heart-wrenching, thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders, the American people, as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen, 
to strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we pause as we reflect back 14 years ago on the tragedy that shook the nation. What you heard a few moments ago was a little girl from the age of three that expresses the sadness and heartbreak as she went through major events in her life without her father. But we also shine a light on the patriotism of six men, the IRP-6, and discuss how it motivated them to build the Silk software to help our country avoid another 9-11, only to have members of the law enforcement community destroy their dreams with malicious prosecution. Right now, I come to you with the words from David Banks, one of the IRP-6, who speaks I, I say, from the depth of his heart. David Banks of the RP6 vividly recalls his first visit to New York City after 9-11. And I quote David Banks, We were in New York City for a demonstration of our software to the NYPD. And as I looked out of my ninth floor window from the Millennium Hilton Hotel on Church Street, which is directly across the street from the Twin Towers, I gazed down for it at least 15 minutes at the large holes in the ground where the towers once stood, standing there silent and overwhelmed with deep sadness. Tears flowed down my face as I imagined the horror faced by New Yorkers that day. As I spoke to members of the NYPD and, and they told me that television could not adequately convey the sense of desperation and terror that gripped the city. One sergeant told me that a large number of people jumped to their death to avoid the blistering heat. And when they would hit the ground, their body parts would explode and disperse in different directions. Banks continued to say that they told me that the stench of burning human flesh lasted for months. That trip changed my life forever and imbued me and others of the IRP-6 with an indomitable spirit to use our talents as software engineers to develop a solution that could truly make a difference for our country and law enforcement. The Congressional 9-11 Commission, which conducted investigations into 9-11, found the FBI's investigative case management system to be uh, antiquated and their processes contributed to information sharing failures that led to the 9-11 attack. 
The commission reported that the FBI did not have the capability to link the collective knowledge of agents in the field to national priorities. In 2012, FBI Chief Technology Officer Jack Israel, in an interview with the Fierce Government, described the FBI case management system as archaic and discussed failed attempts by SAIC and Lockheed Martin to build an independent electronic case management system. The two failed case management products, Virtual Case File and Centennial, cost taxpayers a combined $1.25 billion. The case management systems that led to information sharing failures are still in operation today, which means our nation is still at risk for another 9-11. And that comes from Cliff Stewart, another one of the IRP-6. David goes further, David Banks of the IRP-6 goes further, and he states this, I am wrongfully convicted and have spent the past three years in prison. I have seen the worst from federal agents, prosecutors, and judges who ignored our innocence. But I cannot stress enough that the rogue officials in my case do not represent the law enforcement community at large, as they do not in other prominent cases in the media involving the shooting of unarmed black people, says Banks. We must judge each police officer, prosecutor, and judge by the content of their character and not the color of their uniform or the title of their job. The senseless killing of police officers only brings more pain and suffering to families and to children and is demoralizing to the thousands of responsible police officers who protect the public without abusing their power. Those are the words of David Banks, one of the IRP6. And as we hear those words, William and Cliff, it's overwhelming. This is a man who sits in prison tonight as he relived the moments when he looked at a gaping hole in the ground and the tragedy that took place. This is a man who sits in a prison cell wrongfully and he still talks of the need for humanity. The need for our police, the need for, in spite of all that's happened, what does that say to us as Americans? What does that say to us as individuals? From David Banks, Cliff, what does that tell you? Well, when you, you look at you know, what drove David and the, the rest of the IRP6 and all of the developers at uh, IRP Solutions and those who helped to come up with the Silk Solution, there was a passion for law enforcement, a passion as patriots of America that says we need to do something to ensure that we do not experience another attack like 9-11 on our homeland. And the fact that some in the system have done them wrong, that and many, you know, we, we read the list of those perpetrators that were the cause of uh, the IRP-6 being wrongfully convicted, but it does not change the fact or the power of their passion for their country. I mean, David Banks served in the Navy. My brother Clint Stewart, he served in the Air Force. Others of the IRP-6 did military service and served in top secret positions, uh, you know, working as contractors for Department of Defense. These things don't change because someone do, uh, does you wrong. And 
you know, reading uh, these things that David wrote, understanding the story, and have having worked at IRP Solutions and understanding, you know, what it was that uh, we as a company and they uh, as the executives of IRP Solutions, their vision and their passion on what they were going out to do, and then to see, uh, you know, these officials, the prosecutors, uh, Judge Arguello, the court reporter Darlene Martinez, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, to see these people go after them, uh, to wrongfully convict them, and the, to watch the system fail in this situation, it takes a, a lot. And, I mean, all you can do is, you you know, we have to take our hat off to David and the rest of the IRP-6 to say, you know, these men are not bitter against the entire system. They understand that the system was put in place. I mean, that's why they were building a solution for law enforcement. It's because they understood that the system's not perfect, no, but it needs it needs help to be able to do what it was put in place to do by, by the forefathers of America. I mean, they never wanted the system to convict innocent men. They never wanted the system to put people in prison for no good law enforcement reason. But those who run the system they they uh you know have debtors they have their own personal uh reasons for doing wrong things but we cannot throw we can't throw them all under the bus and say hey you know you well, all are the same it's amazing to me that david quotes dr martin luther king when he says and i like that when he said the context of a man's character and to say that in regards to the police officer that not because of the color uniform or the type of uniform that he is wearing right. do we judge every police officer. Because I can tell you tonight, as we reflect on 9-11, there were police officers who were slain. There were firefighters who died. There were mother, I mean, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers of all the human race. It didn't matter what color you were. Rangel said it didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on, Congressman Rangel. Uh, made that statement earlier. We didn't, it didn't take a speech for the president to bring America together. It didn't take a law enacted to bring America together. It was the heartbreak of a nation. How soon do we forget that America stands on the brink of tragedy again? These are reports, William, that we just talked about. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And even as as Cliff was talking to you, you hear this these words from David, and and it just. It's the character of the man. No. It's, it's the character of the man. I mean, he said, "Don't I can't heap these that did me wrong. I can't heap those that are good, those that are out there who are there to serve and protect. The one thing, I, I, as I worked up there, I worked at IRP Solutions. I worked on the Silk Software. I, it took me back to seeing the guys working with the members that were uh, that were on staff that were retired FBI agents that were there, that were the police officers that were there. They were constantly working with these people, getting their information, learning from them to make a better product because they realized they knew that, listen, we, this in the hands of law enforcement could help. It could help, help us with cases, help us, the guys on the street, the guys in the cruisers, those that are going to crime scene, the, the, the whole crime scene investigation piece, the crime scene logs, that's gathering forensic evidence, that's gathering photos, uh, basically creating this large journal. I, I, was telling, I was describing to a friend of mine, I said, you know, you can watch CSI, whichever show. 
You never see a crime scene where they show up with a laptop. You never see that. I said, but this was the case. This was it, and that's where it started. And so these guys had such a passion, such a drive. So to go back to David's statement, to look into that hole and say, this will forever change my life. I will use my talent. I will use what God has given me to prevent this from happening again. And that's what the solution did. It was it. The solution is here. Fifteen years later, this sits on a shelf. It is technology that helps. It would prevent the sharing of knowledge, of information across agents, to be able to do that. It's phenomenal. And then when you read this, and you read this $1.25 billion on two failed efforts, virtual case file, and Sentinel cost us, the taxpayer. So if I paid for something and I feel no safer, that's just like buying ADT and leaving your front door open. What is the point? No, absolutely on that. And uh, David Banks goes further to say that since patrol investigative and intelligence operations share common approaches of processes, we envision what we could create a single adaptive software framework that could be easily customized to any agency's processes and procedures for their entire collection, analysis, distribution, and presentation of information for law enforcement operations. Banks goes on to say, and this is David Banks of the RP6, I am 100% confident that our software revolutionizes the way law enforcement manages information and will make our nation safer. Something happened to David Banks. Something happened to him. And I think we need to be reminded of the horror of that day. Good morning. 64 degrees at 8 o'clock. It's Tuesday, September 11th. Hi, Lee Harris. Here's what's happening. It's primary day and the polls are open. You couldn't live within or visit New York without getting a tour of the tower. And if you were really interested, you might actually go to the roof. 2110, uh, you guys are coming in for building number two on the 97th floor, people trapped. Stay where you are. When the World Trade Center buildings were going up, my dad told me, when those are finished, we're going to go up on the top. My dad said these buildings will last for a thousand years. They'll be here forever. In the World Trade Center, the firemen in the building, they're making their way up It's 25 to 30 people. It's a terrific place to work. And on a clear day, you could see the curvature of the earth. I said, no, it's not possible. It's not possible that my life is going to end this way. Can we break a window? Whatever you have to do to get there. Break a window, somebody! It was really every fiber in your body is screaming. It's like, you gotta get out of here. You gotta get out of here. Let's give you a hand here. Come on, guys. You gotta tell the VIP to get down. They're all notified. Fire department, ambulance, everybody. They're all notified. What the hell are you doing? You're trying to kill us all? Tell the boys. Tell the boys I love them. I'm from the south coast, a place called Haney Island. 
less than two hours from this moment, both towers of the World Trade Center will be in ruins. A further three aircraft will have been hijacked and crashed, and thousands of lives changed forever. This film looks at the events at the heart of the unfolding disaster through the eyes of the people who were there and shows minute by minute what really happened inside the World Trade Center on the day America came under attack. Billions of TV viewers around the world have grandstand views of the unfolding events. But people inside the towers know almost nothing. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the sounds of horror of 9-11. We reflect tonight of the terror that shook a nation. As we were talking prior to that clip, we went into the heart of David Banks, one of the IRP-6. When you hear the calamity, when you hear the chaos, when you hear the destruction, William, no wonder the IRP-6 were driven. Absolutely. I mean, you. I cannot. Um, I mean, I, I don't think. I don't think there's a time you listen to a clip that you don't sit back and reflect, and you sit there and you think about it. when you either you watched it, you saw it where you were when it took place, watching the buildings collapse. I mean, just like you said, there was two 110-story buildings that fell within two hours. The buildings around it, large buildings, 47-story buildings. All of it collapsed. 3,000 people immediately impacted. It's, it's phenomenal, man. I, I, can't, I can't even think about it and then think about we're in a safer. It probably makes it worse. Well, I'll tell you this before we go further tonight. And every program on this, pro, on this show is dedicated to the IRP-6. You've heard their names, their situations, their visions, and their passions that drove them. David Banks, Gary Walker... Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Dave Zappolo, we salute you tonight as heroes of America. We're going to come right back with you. Think about tonight, folks. As Congressman Rango alluded to, we must ask the tough questions. And he said this conversation is not always pleasant, but we must be prepared to get the answers and to seek them out. We remember the, the victims, the heroes, the losses, and the pain that touched the nation. Remembering 9-11 on AGC Radio, special edition, 
a spotlight on Capitol Hill. We will never forget. We'll be right back. A community event happening in Colorado Springs presents Matthew Fogg, retired chief deputy of the United States Marshal Service, also first responder at Ground Zero. He is coming to Colorado Springs Tuesday, September 15th at 7 p.m. Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, 451 Winchine Place, with Pastor Rose Banks as we reach out to the community to make a difference. Matthew Fogg, 7 p.m. Tuesday, September 15th. Don't miss it. For further information, call 719-597-8800. We'll see you there. Let's go to the trade tower again because, John, we now have a. What do we have? We don't. It looks like a, a new plume, a new large plume of smoke. Now, it may be that something fell off the building. It may be that something has fallen. We don't know, to be perfectly honest. But that is what you're looking at is the current. That's the scene at this moment at the World Trade Center. Stan Daler from ABC's Good Morning America is down. Uh, in, in the general vicinity. Dan, can you tell us what has just happened? Yes, Peter, it's, it's Don Daly down here. four blocks north of the World Trade Center. The second building that was hit by the plane has just completely collapsed. The entire building has just collapsed as if a demolition team set off when you see the old demolitions of these old buildings. It pulled it down on itself and it is not there anymore. That should be it. It Thanks has very much, completely Dan. collapsed. Crossing to the World Trade Center in New York. Just a moment or two ago, we saw the Twin Tower. It's some 110 stories high. It's starting to fall apart. There's no other way of expressing what's happening. Actually, let's look at these live pictures at the World Trade Center. The other tower of the World Trade Center has just collapsed. You are looking at live pictures of the second twin tower at the World Trade Center collapsing as a result of the crash of an airplane into its side. That, I believe, was the first tower that was struck. Still with us on second, Keith Graves. We're taking live pictures from our colleagues at Fox News in New York. We know that one of the twin towers at the World Trade Center in New York collapsed a short time ago. Some 25,000 people worked inside that building. You just saw it live here on Sky News, the second tower has collapsed. The second tower has collapsed. Families of the fallen. In those awful moments, after the South Tower was hit, some of the injured huddled in the wreckage of the 78th floor. The fires were spreading. The air was filled with smoke. It was dark. They could barely see. It seemed as if there was no way out. 
And then there came a voice, clear, calm, saying he had found the stairs. A young man in his 20s, strong, emerged from the smoke and over his nose and his mouth, he wore a red handkerchief. He called for fire extinguishers to fight back the flames. He tended to the wounded. He led those survivors down the stairs to safety and carried a woman on his shoulders down 17 flights. Then he went back, back up all those flights, then back down again, bringing more wounded to safety. Until that moment when the tower fell. They didn't know his name. They didn't know where he came from, but they knew their lives had been saved by the man in the red bandana. Again, Mayor Bloomberg, distinguished guests, Mayor de Blasio, Governors Christie and Cuomo, families and survivors of that day. To all those who responded with such courage, on behalf of Michelle and myself and the American people, uh, it is honor for us to join in your memories. To recall and to reflect, but above all, to reaffirm the true spirit of 9-11. Love, compassion, sacrifice, and to enshrine it forever in the heart of our nation. That is the word, those are the words of President Barack Obama a couple of years ago as he reflected on 9-11. And uh, Cliff and uh, William, when you hear the story of the man with the red handkerchief or the bandetta, his bravery cost him his life. I'll go back to what Congressman Rangel said. Why was this not avoided? Why are the cemeteries stacked with the victims of 9-11? And Obama makes, President Obama makes a good point. The American people have proven to come together in the most difficult times. But I believe we've come to a point now we must go beyond that. And though we've come together as a nation... And we reflect all over the United States today, probably in every city, every, every classroom, every office space, every cubicle, every church. Somebody took a moment to say, I remember 40 years ago. And we say that tonight, William, in regards to, and Cliff, we go back to one point. 9-11 is over. We can't go and undo anything that's happened. But we have the capability 
and we have the key that it never happens again. That's right. That's right. What is that key, William? That key is called silk. The vision of six men wrongfully convicted sit right here, right now in Florence, Colorado, wrongfully convicted. The software is there, more than capable, to do exactly what we needed to do, which is share information across agencies. It is what we need. It is what we need. These guys sit ready, ready patriots, as you pointed out, patriots that were motivated by this one tragic event, teamed up with law enforcement, teamed up with others to get the information and worked on the solution. And uh, I'll tell you what, Cliff, that is that is the case. And, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, I believe, Cliff, we have someone on the line. Is that correct? Yes, uh, we have the truth on the line. Um, you have a comment. Go ahead. You're live. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Yes, I was just calling in after I heard uh, David's words and his, as a mother... I felt like I had really done my job in raising them not to be bitter and angry even when you're done wrong in this world. And there's a lot of people that's going to do it to you. But uh, when I when I heard those words, my heart was touched. And, and the fact that uh, he acknowledged the good that's in the world and not all the bad because there are some good things here. And I was just overwhelmed with it, you know, with with the words that he 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 gave uh, the uh, things to the people uh, honor that was due them, and I was thankful for that. And and how he has been changed, uh, how he's become a, even a better person, and not because he's in prison, he could he could have become a better person outside. All six of those guys, and they worked so hard, and I thought about. How hard they work sometimes, day and night, up and and uh, and trying to get the what the homeland security asked them for, and NYPD, and they're working so hard, and, and other developers working with them. It was definitely a group effort in in getting this out. And and I thought for a minute when I went to the prison to see my son, he said these words to me. He said, "Mama, uh, all my life I said I would never do anything that would." break the law that would send me to prison and I, I we we all shared in this dream that we was going to do something for the country and uh, and give everything we had toward it and they worked so very hard and then he looked at me and he said I looked around me and I thought when you really want to help your country and do something good for your country is prison the reward after they finished the software, had it ready to go, they came and tried to steal it. They couldn't get it. And everything, he just looked around and said, it's hard to believe that you could do something good that would protect America. And your reward is prison. He said, I'll never be able to understand that. They never did nothing wrong or anything. We, we just worked hard in the dream to, that we might be able to be. Uh, uh, some help and do something that will prevent a terrorist act of this nature. 
And when I look at, at, at all those pictures today and the, and the news thing, it's just unbelievable it, how tragic it was. And I listened to a mother today uh, who was there, uh, and she was still crying about her son. And she said, my granddaughter is standing here, your daughter. She looks just like it. She couldn't even take it no more. She just broke down and began to cry. And I thought, almost, here it is 14 years later, and the pain is still as real as it ever was. And I just pray to God that somewhere at some point in time that they will get that software and prevent another thing from happening in this country that would take away the lives of Americans who went to work on a sunny day expected to come back home to their families. What a horrible, horrible way to die. And I just trust and hope that at that, that some point that somebody's going to recognize and say, well, at least give it a try. See if it works. You really don't have to take our word for it. We need to try it. We hear talk, talk, talk about silk software and how we could have prevented a 9-11 and any ISIS of, uh, 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 of people that's in this country even today. You think at some point somebody's going to say, "Let we need to try that software. You don't have anything else, so what do you have to lose? But I, I am thankful to God that he has he has strengthened them and helped them through all this time and our families and kept us strong in spite of it. And we, we're just looking forward to the day that they come home, and we know that day will come sooner than later. And I thank you for taking my call. And thank you very much for that. And, um, wow, I'll tell you what. Wow. Uh, the cry in the heart of a mother who has seen injustice on its highest level I cannot go to the place where she is gone because I'm not a mother but as part of the human spirit we understand to a degree that type of loss and to be an example of of, of being a law uh, not a non-lawbreaker and to enforce that in your children to believe in something that you were taught from here. That's true. And as David Banks goes into the, as we go into the mind of David Banks, from the few words listed on paper, David Banks is a hero. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the entire RP6, William, are heroes of this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when she, when she talked and she sp- talked about the long hours. I remember. I was there. We would be there late into the night, on the weekends, working. The motivation of these guys was this. This day. 9-11-2001. And I'll tell you what. It doesn't get any heavier or more emotional or more impactful than that. Take a listen. This day should be a day of reflection and remembrance only. A plea from one of the podiums at this year's 9-11 ceremony where politicians observe but do not speak and the names of the dead are recited to underline the enormity of our collective loss. 
Six times the bells toll for each major event on the painful timeline, starting with the first tower struck. There is a moment of silence, and the reading of the names resumes. Each of the readers speaks of someone they knew. My brother, firefighter Michael Francis Lynch. We know you were rescuing people in an elevator. Second tower, first to go down, brother. A widow speaks to her fallen husband. You have given me the greatest gift in our son, who makes me proud every day and is a reflection of you. Children speak to their missing father. Thirteen years ago yesterday, you put me to bed not knowing it, was your, it would be your last time. I miss you so much. Daddy, you're my hero. I love you. Dad, thank you for always being there with us. The youngest of us cannot even remember the day it happened, yet labor to find bonds with those who were taken. Thirteen years ago, I was born on my grandmother's birthday. She made my mom promise for us to share every birthday together. We, we never had that chance to do that, but the gift of me being born on our birthday is eternal. I wish you were here right now, and I wish I had more memory of you. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is a real situation. This is not something that appeared on a news or a network as a movie or a production. Real people died. Those were the voices of real children grieving for their parents, wives for their husbands, mothers for their sons. Tonight, we look back at a tragic day, but we look ahead for a better tomorrow. This is AJC Radio. We're coming right back. As you tonight close your day on the East Coast, 9.30 in the evening as the kids are tucked in for a perhaps a playful weekend as summer draws to, comes to an end, we look up and say thank you and we seek for justice and for answers. As Congressman Charles Rangel said, it's time to ask the questions. We'll be right back. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time.
minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent. The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well. Because they're not here with their families. Today we come together once again to remember and to reflect with reverence and with respect. Because whenever we speak of September 11, 2001, we tread on sacred ground. On this anniversary, the thoughts of our nation remain with the innocent Americans we lost, their families and loved ones, with the first responders who arrived on the scene to rescue others in danger and stayed at Ground Zero to search for survivors. And we remember how worried some people were about what the attacks would do to America. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lamont Banks along with William Williams and Cliff Stewart. On a night, a clear night here in Colorado, a clear night in New York City and around the country, fairly good weather as summer approaches its end. Tonight we have, with great honor and with privilege, reflected back on a night that shall never be forgotten. In New York City, when two commercial airplanes flew into the twin tower into the twin towers, causing a tsunami, if you will, in the United States of America. 
where terror ruled for a moment and America's resiliency was tested. We look back tonight as we have had the privilege of hearing from the Honorable Congressman Charles Rangel, who was hit in his own home in New York City. The plane that was destined for Pennsylvania Avenue, we remember the victims there. We remember the victims, the plane that flew into the Pentagon. We remember all the victims. We remember the first responders who were there first to bring help. We remember the man with the red bandana that President Obama said no one knew his name as he rescued people and brought them to safety only to go up the steps for the last time to rescue one more when the towers fell. Tonight we say thank you to the heroes, the fallen, and to a nation that came together. Tonight we are grateful. William and Cliff is, I mean, this is a different kind of night here at AJC Radio. A lot of pain, a lot of emotion, and we think of everybody tonight, the children, the parents, the grandparents, the uh, children that were yet to be born. We reflect tonight. And uh, William and Cliff, as we have alluded to in this program tonight, the RP6, we'll read their names again, because if we honor heroes, they start at the top. David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Dave Sapolo, and to their families, we salute you as well, to be able to stand in the midst of this adversity and injustice that has happened to these six men and uh, who hold the key. And I said it once, I'll say it again. The answer to ISIS, to another 9-11, to another attack on our homeland. And uh, William, we were talking during the break and you said you wanted to paint a picture for the American people of this software. And I am I'm learning if I'm learning anything in life now, I'm learning that the answers that Congressman Rangel referred to, or the questions rather, the answers are not all that difficult. No. no and that's simple. that's what's alarming. Uh we don't have to go and and take ten years or fifteen or fifty or a hundred years to bring about change in America. We do not have to put on a superhero suit to keep America safe but we can release six men and our plea goes to the President of the United States tonight to every member of Congress who say they feel compelled to keep the homeland safe. We send a plea to the FBI to the CIA to the Department of Homeland Security to come together Absolutely, and to Again, as a congressman we had spoken to in Washington said, no one is sharing information. The Boston bombing that took place during the marathon that took place there, we had an opportunity to talk to one of the aides of the um, 
congressman, and he said he was outraged. He said, had we been sharing information, this would not have happened. What will it take America? How many body bags will have to be filled? How many tears will have to be wiped from a young girl's eyes, a young boy's eyes, before we say politics is enough? As Congressman Rangel alluded to, this is enough. It is. Yeah. Every time we reflect, can we reflect on a day when we look up and say an attack was attempted, but the IRP-6 solution, the IRP-6 men, the heroes of our country, we reflect on their success and their sweat and tears that created the software to keep this country safe. Cliff? And, you know, when you look at it, Lamont, why should it have to take another tragedy for Congress to come together to make a decision? For Department of Homeland Security to say, you know, this software was built uh, for us, it was customized to do what we requested for it to do, why would it take another tragedy for that to be implemented? Why should it take another attack on the homeland for the CIA and NSA and the FBI to share information with each other? Why would it take 3,000 more lives, more national uh, monuments, the national economy being brought to, it need, brought to its knees? Why does it need, why does something like that need to happen for America's leaders to come together. Well, how about just saying, let's make a sensible decision that let's do something to be proactive to terrorism, to terrorism, to be proactive to some attack on the homeland before something happens. Let's go ahead and make a decision to fix a problem. But I think what you're saying is right. Be proactive instead of reactive. Okay, reaction to an event. I think the thing is, We've talked about the software, and we've heard this over and over again, not sharing information, not sharing just just a piece of information enter across agencies. Now, when we were reading this this morning, or excuse me, a little while ago, we were talking about these failed efforts, case management tools, where you basically box up information, put them on a shelf, or put them in a filing cabinet, but they're not they're not. They're not there. They're not available to share to somebody else. And I, and that's why one of the biggest things I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at, that's what one of the aspects that the software solved. It solved a bit of information sitting on somebody's desk or sitting in a filing cabinet somewhere that it could have it could have changed these, these events. It could have changed the outcomes of these things. And that's what we're hearing, the constant thing. Why can we not share information why did they know and didn't tell us sure and that's that's that was one of the things that was one of the points the irp6 said that's what that's what we can solve we could take technology today and enable it and enable you and like cliff said customize it to your your department so you get information you get it to you and you can send it to others and i, I think that's it's one of the most fundamental things knowledge is power knowledge is power these guys they just don't want to share well, like they, and, well. and you know when, when you when you look at you say okay here a, a commission was put in place to find out why how did 9-11 how did that take place how did it get past us 
their report, the 9-11 Commission report, came to the conclusion that the reason that this attack was able to happen was because there was a lack of sharing, a lack of collaboration by federal law enforcement. When I say federal law enforcement, FBI, NSA, CIA, everybody that you can think that has federal jurisdiction. That's why they came up with the Department of Homeland Security as a federal agency that says we need a consolidated law enforcement environment that all these agencies will push their data to and the data will be shared. Ten years after the 9-11 Commission came up with that report and said this is the reason, they still do not share. Even till today, they still do not share information. And then, then Silk has the confidential informant piece. It had the pieces that addressed their concerns. They said, this is what we were looking for. This is what we needed. Where was this? That was the question asked in 2011, or, 20, or excuse me, in 2001, or 2002. They're still asking that question today. Exactly. Still the, the same Still question. the same question. We're not any better. I mean, I, you know, like, let's just take a step back. As a father, as a husband, we're not any better as a country. My children are not any better, any safer. And I worked on the software that and, – and know these guys. These guys are wrongfully convicted, sit in Florence, Colorado, and they could make my family safer. We have a responsibility as citizens. We have a responsibility, just like the caller had said. When is somebody going to say, you know what? We heard about it. Why don't we give it a chance? I, I'm telling you right here, I've got 1.25 billion reasons why I can give it a chance because they spent that. We spent that. Some of my taxpayer dollars went to it on two failed efforts that didn't go anywhere, except for in somebody else's pocket, one of these high-level executives at Lockheed Martin or SAIC. I'm sure they're sitting there at home in their gated communities with their ADT system perfectly happy. But what about me and my family? Exactly, and when you know that there's a solution out there, that you say, okay, we're in danger, we, we're we vulnerable, we need something. When Department of Homeland Security called IRP Solutions and said, you guys have something that we need to look at. But Come say that again. Say that again. Yeah, DHS called IRP Solutions. So they picked up the phone. Picked up the phone and said, we have been told that IRP Solutions has software that we need to look at that you are working on a law enforcement software that can be the framework for what Department of Homeland Security needs with that framework uh, DHS asked IRP Solutions to um, to basically customize it for Department of Homeland Security and, and they did that but 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 why why did they do that now now, now I'm gonna take down this road because weren't wasn't IRP Solutions already in talks with NYPD and Philadelphia Police Department? So these are big, big police departments. These are big agencies. All right, that came later. Right, the uh, Philadelphia came later, but IRP Solutions was already in in negotiations with NYPD with DHS. And then you say, okay, so then what happened if these agencies? We're looking at this solution. Well, a raid on IRP Solutions happened. They, the, the federal government, the FBI, came in and put a, a halt to business and then told DHS, told NYPD, don't do business 
with our fee solutions, they're under investigation. Now, and, and that is that is so crazy because how do you interfere with commerce when there are no charges? You're under investigation, so now I can't do business. Now you're going to interfere with me doing business. Then to go further, there's not there's not even until this day there is not there's no evidence to any wrongdoing of what IRP solutions. Uh, well, there was none. The, I mean, you're talking about a business to business. Uh, contracts in place with these staffing companies. The, the the essence of the charges against them, well, they were it was claimed mail fraud and wire fraud, but it was corporate debt. IRP Solutions went into debt to build the software for DHS to build the software for NYPD, just like any small business. Say yes, I will put my name and my business on the line to to take out a loan to partner with other companies to say I will get my product to market, and when that product is sold. I will pay my debt. Absolutely. And IRP Solutions took this same route, and there has never been any evidence that said that there was a crime committed. And that's not just my opinion. That's not just the opinion of a just cause. We've had retired federal and appellate uh, judge H. Lee Sarakin. He said the same thing. He said this never should have made it to court. This is a debt case. This never should have been looked at by anything on the federal level. We've had other uh, members of, of uh, federal law enforcement. I'm, I'm talking about uh, retired, even assistant U.S. attorneys. So you're talking about retired federal prosecutors who sat in front of us when we showed them all of the entire transcript, and their response was, where is the crime? What were these men even brought up on charges for? Well, that that echoed in our nation's capital, Cliff, as you well know, as we presented this to high-ranking lawyers and attorneys at the highest level of, in the land, said to us, our entire firm has gone through this information. There is no crime. That makes the 9-11 tragedy even worse. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because it, there's a solution in place. There is a solution. And not just to say, okay, this is something that, oh, let's go see if something works. No, this was built at the request, at the uh, with requirements gathered from the Department of Homeland Security. They said, this is what we need you to do, IRP Solution. Can you do it? This if you do, me. then... Hey, you, you're going to be. We'll, we'll then we'll ask you what is it going to cost. IRP Solutions, like you said, William Taylor made the software based on the requirements that DHS asked for for customization. When the, when uh, IRP finished with those customizations, finished with those requests, Department of Homeland Security said, "Give us a quote. What will it take for what you have built for us? What will it take for you now to implement that?" Uh, in, in software terms to stand up this solution at Department of Homeland Security. What will it take? for? And, and this is one module that they said, the module we need the most is the confidential informant. That that was shown, that was the breakdown that allowed 9-11 to happen. We need that module and the framework for the software to be stood up. What will it take to do that? Give us a quote. IRP Solutions came back for all of, of uh, DHS. Here's the quote. Here's how much it would be. The response from DHS: We're going to put IRP solutions in the. Uh, we're going to put IRP solutions in the budget. Two weeks after that statement, here comes 
over 20 uh, FBI agents raiding IRP solutions. 21 armed. Armed agents. Agents. Into a small business that has less than 20 employees, and you come in armed like, like, oh, this is the cocaine lab deep in Columbia. But see, the thing to me that that is it's so mind-blowing. These guys work with law enforcement all the time. So if I'm committing a crime, if I'm going to commit a crime, if I'm committing fraud, how am I going to do that with the FBI, retired FBI agents, other members of law enforcement in the building? This is in the building. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, it It is outrageous. It is enough to really trouble you as we, again, ask the tough questions, and the questions have to be answered sooner or later as we continue to search for those answers, and those answers um, to be ignored. I said it earlier, I'll say it again, failure to act is sometimes more detrimental than an act itself. That's that's absolutely that's true. true. And, true. you know, you you look at the failure to act on everything that, you know, that the that IRP solutions being raided, all of the fallout of that. But then you look and you when the federal government that brought these charges against IRP solutions executives, the IRP six, they said, OK, well, you know, first, well, the software must not be any good. So IRP solutions said, pick you somebody to review the software they will tell you what Califorensics a company out of California uh, out of California with a retired FBI forensics analysis as its head did an analysis of the silk software and said that this meets the criteria and that there is a market for this software in law enforcement well we already knew that but this was told to the federal government what did the prosecutor say after that well, well, we're not going to use Califorensics, uh, you know, basically the review. We're not going to use their review uh, because basically it didn't align with, well, with with their with their theory that the yeah. software wasn't any good. Yeah. And then you have then it's put in the textbook on how to do investigations. Well, you have the Silk software in that textbook, yeah. and yet you still have the IRP six is sitting in federal prison, and it, this is now everybody knows. There's no crime committed. So why are they still sitting in, in prison, and why is the software still sitting on the shelf? Well, those are questions that the federal government uh, has and, to answer. And they're going to have to answer those questions. We got a caller? Yes. We have uh, Lisa, our co-host, um, who's not in the studio tonight, but she has a comment that she wants to make. And Lisa, uh, go ahead. You're live. Hey, guys. How you doing tonight? Hey, doing good. Doing good. Yeah, I just wanted to call in because I couldn't be there tonight. I did want to call in and just, I wanted to offer my prayers and my condolences for the families and the the families who are left, who were left, uh, what was it now, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, without yeah. their, without all the people that were lost, all the people that had experienced such a great loss on this day. And, I mean, I can only imagine what they're feeling right now, the things that they're going through, reliving that day over and over again each year and I just I just want them to know that um that my prayers are with them and that we're all thinking about them and just trying to 
trying to understand all that they're feeling and all that they're going through with losing their loved ones in such a tragic way. And I mean, it's just it's just a horrible, horrible thing to when you lose someone, it's bad any, any way you slice it. But when you lose someone in a tragedy such as this, and such a useless, useless tragedy, that I mean, something that didn't have to be, and to lose someone that way has to be even more horrific. And so I just wanted to just call in and just say that to your list, to our listeners and let them know that we're praying for them and that our condolences go out to them for all that they've suffered. And thank you for that, Lisa. And um, I can assure you our thoughts and prayers, and we echo that to the families, those that have relived this uh, nightmare in this country, and for the heavy hearts tonight across the United States uh, as we are all family in America, and uh, we are so very sorry that this tragedy happened, but we must move forward for the answer. Yeah, and let's make sure that we don't have another tragedy that, uh, you know, pulls the family together, per se. It does not take a tragedy such as 9-11, or it should not take a tragedy such as 9-11 to bring the family of America together. We should all stand together. That's how it should be all the time should not take a tragedy and let's ensure that it doesn't again. Absolutely. And um, uh, William, some closing words as we get ready to wrap this show. Well, I think, um, you know, the one thing that's um, running through my mind right now is tomorrow, September the 12th. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And then we have to reflect. Today we have to reflect. Where are we going? Where are we going as a country? And that's the answer for September 12th. Uh, You'll notice President Bush... He took a lot of heat, a lot of criticism uh, during his presidency, but I'll tell you what. We salute you, President Bush, who, at the beginning of his presidency, walked into this tragedy. Absolutely. And whether you like him or don't like him or you disagree with this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, it took a leader to lead a nation through that. And President Bush, our hats are off to you. We salute you as our uh, commander-in-chief who stood through the battle and kept America strong. And our salutes are to you, to Mayor Giuliani, to those that were involved, that, um, again, to the fire fire, um, stations. You may drive by them casually and never think that the sacrifices that are made by those that occupy that station in in a moment's time. And we salute you tonight. As we wrap up this show tonight, we cannot help but say a sincere thank you to Congressman Charles Rangel, who took the time today and to share his heart with our listeners and AJC Radio. We appreciate you, Congressman. We salute you and we count you a hero among the ashes that made a difference to heal not only a city and a state, but a nation. We thank you for that. And as we wrap tonight, we cannot help but say that we appreciate the heroes who sit wrongfully convicted in a prison tonight. David Banks, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart, Demetrius Harper, and Gary Walker. We salute you tonight and We wish you Godspeed. Our prayers and thoughts are with you as we fight for justice another day. Ladies and gentlemen, we end this program tonight with a young girl who pleaded and cried 
missing her father. We'll leave you with that tonight. But bear in mind, as we sit as the clock ticks, the tears of a young one were shed. And for every tear that fell, no one thing is certain, it didn't have to. We close tonight with the young lady talking to her father. God bless you and God bless America. Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11-2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. Oh, we
What are we going to do, America? As the hearts of our children continue to cry. As we stand at risk of another attack of terror on our nation. What about our children? Our children's children who stand in the crossfire of terror. We must act now that America and our children will remain safe. Hope you know you're my hero. Love is all that I need. And I found it there in your heart. It isn't too hard to see. We're in heaven. I love you so much. Well, that's heart-wrenching, thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders, the American people, as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen to strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe. Hey.